welcome to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Jeff Gaudet. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. We're excited on our show today to have Dr. Carolyn Smith. Dr. Smith is not only an extremely accomplished runner in her own right, but she's one of the foremost experts in women's running. She's the USA 100-kilometer national champion. She's represented the U.S. on multiple occasions and has a marathon best of 245. If that wasn't enough, Dr. Smith is also the co-author of the book, Running for Women, which is one of the definitive resources for women-specific issues in running. In our discussion today, we're going to discuss the specific struggles women encounter when trying to race hard and train during their menstrual cycle, We're going to cover training during presidency, as well as how to manage menopause and what to expect when it comes to training and racing performance. And finally, we're going to discuss specific dietary issues women runners need to pay attention to. All that and more in this podcast. If you want to reference any of the resources that we mentioned, you can visit the resources page at runnersconnect.net slash rc20. Without further ado, let's get started with our podcast. Hi, Carolyn. Thank you so much for taking your time out of your day to visit with us and and share your running wisdom. Um, We're really excited to have you on our podcast today. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to it as well. Awesome. Um, So I did a brief introduction uh, about you before this interview, but let's tell the audience in your own words, you know, a little bit about your running background, uh, how you got started and kind of where you're at now. Okay. Well, I actually started running uh, when I was 14. Um, a local YMCA was promoting a lot of uh, women's running events, which was pretty progressive for the 70s. And I thought, oh, this sounds like fun. I was a pretty active uh, adolescent. And so I uh, entered my first 5K through the Y, had immediate success winning the whole race. Wow. And, uh, and just uh, um, grew from there. Went on and ran in high school, uh, both track and cross country, you know, tried every event imaginable. Uh, just to see where my strengths and weaknesses were, ended up gravitating to the mile and two mile, um, and then went on and ran for the University of Wisconsin. I would say I had a very pedestrian or mediocre career there, uh, but I, what I did learn uh, and gain was an appreciation for a lot of different training techniques mm-hmm. and the value of all of those different training components. Um, like a lot of collegiate runners, um, I tried the marathon when I was still in college um, and really fell in love with the long distances. And at my second attempt, I actually qualified for the Olympic trials. Um, so I uh, continued to compete in the marathon as best I could. Medical school, residency, my career kind of impacted my level of competitiveness there for <laughs> you know five or ten years. Uh, when I got back into, I always ran throughout that time, but when I uh, wanted to get uh, resume competitive uh, racing, I uh, tried an ultra marathon. I was always intrigued by them. And like my first 5K, I had immediate success in the 50 miler that I ran, fell in love with ultra running, and then uh, have really focused on that for the last uh, 10 years. Wow. I've had the privilege of uh, <clears throat> winning a couple national championships through my ultra running setting some national age group records, and representing the U.S. In, uh, on the 100-kilometer team and the 24-hour team. So 
Um, I still love it. It's still fun. I still have lots of goals, uh, still lots of things I want to try. That's awesome. That's, that's a phenomenal story. And it actually hits home for me because uh, my fiance is uh, in her third year of residency. Uh, to well, she's going to be an endocrinologist. So okay. I know what she's going through now with you know she ran competitively in college and now is just finding the time to run can be difficult. So it's it's inspiring, and I'm going to make sure that she listens to this to know you know and and takes a look at you to know that she can have success you know after after she's done you know her residency and and life t- tends to calm down a little bit more. <laughs> okay. Good. Um, so what what we really want to talk about today is really diving. Uh, well, actually, I should mention, and and we bring this up in the uh, the introduction, but uh, you've just recently published a book, uh, and it's called Running for Women. Uh, it's Running for Women, and um, we really want to dig into those topics specifically because I think it's it's something that we don't often talk about when we when we think about training. We write training in a general, or think about training in a general sense, and oftentimes there are there are issues that are specific to women that we often don't that we kind of glaze over especially for for women that haven't been in the sport for their lifetime like someone like you has so um let's talk about uh you know some of those specific issues and kind of let's just get started with you know what some of what um what are some of the different performance variations that uh women runners can experience when in different phases of uh their menstrual cycle okay well that's a great question uh first of all i want to preface that by saying that Every woman is unique when it comes to their menstrual cycle, and everyone um, goes through that experience a little differently. You'll talk to a lot of runners who say, what's the big deal? It doesn't bother me. And you'll talk to probably just as many runners that say, wow, this is a real problem for me at various times of the month with my training and performance. And we can really blame that on two hormones, Mm -hmm. right, that are critical to the menstrual cycle, estrogen and progesterone. And for the first half of the cycle, estrogen is the predominant hormone. And when that's the predominant hormone, we tend to feel good and run better. So what women will often tell you is right after their menstrual cycle, that first week to 10 days afterwards, they really tend to actually notice performance benefits. They feel really good in their training. They tolerate faster-paced workouts. They tolerate harder workouts, longer workouts. And we believe it's because of estrogen. In the second half of the menstrual phase is where progesterone dominates. That really seems to be the negative hormone when we look at the two hormones. When progesterone is elevated, we notice changes in our body temperature. Our body temperature is actually higher, our set temperature. We notice changes in our breathing. We're tending to work a little harder than we would when estrogen predominates. But we also notice changes in the use of fuel sources when progesterone dominates. So during that phase of the cycle, women are going to say, geez, I don't feel as well. Uh And that's because of the subjective sensation that they might be breathing harder. Um, And so harder workouts are more difficult because they just, they, they sense that, geez, I'm working harder, although they may not be, they perceive that they are. So doing speed workouts, you know, threshold, pace workouts sometimes are harder in that second half, mm-hmm. and certainly right before their menstrual cycle, where they have that feeling of fatigue and bloating, which is also from the progesterone. Okay, so that fatigue and bloating, bloating phase is the progester, uh, progesterone hormone. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then with that elevation in body temperature, we notice that during times of really hot, humid weather, 
uh, women will complain of having difficulty competing long workouts or hard workouts where they really need to dissipate heat and they're not able to do it as well. So with women who struggle with that phase of the menstrual cycle, we really coach them and encourage them to avoid those workouts um, kind of right before their menstrual cycle is due because they're just not going to have a lot of success. Okay. So it sounds like uh, I think it's something if you're a woman that's affected a lot by your menstrual cycle or that it impacts you a lot that you actually need to pay attention in the way you set up your training um, mm -hmm. to maybe ebb and flow a little bit with kind of naturally how your body's going to feel. Is that what you suggest uh, women do if they, if they feel particularly prone? Yeah, absolutely. Is You just need to make those adaptations. And as I said at the beginning, everyone's a little different. But typically, you know, simple adaptations are right before your menses is due and during those first few days, avoid really hard, challenging workouts. You know, save those for after your menstrual cycle when you're going to feel better. And then to really avoid really long workouts or races right before your cycle too, especially if it's in the heat. Okay. Um, those are simple things to, to implement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this this may be my naive day, but, um, you know, is there... You know, I would imagine that some women runners have a difficulty determining, like, if it's if it's a problem, like, like hormone-wise with their menstrual cycle or if it's just them feeling bad. Um, you know, is there anything that you could point to that would say, you know, kind of help them discern the difference between, you know, just general training fatigue, feeling to having a bad day, or, or something that might be hormonal? Well, I think we can really blame it more on hormones if it's right about around the time of the menstrual cycle or during. Okay. You know, outside of that three to seven days, it's probably more of a true training effect. Okay. And so they should look at their training plan. Did I increase my intensity too much? Am I not sleeping as well? Have I done something with my nutrition? Okay. Um, now, what happens, uh, you know, what do you suggest, you know, athletes do if, if they know that a, a race day is going to happen to fall on, on in, that, in that three to seven day window where it's possible they may not be feeling good? Like, wh what kind of suggestions do you, do you have for them to either mitigate the effects or, you know, just kind of get over that hump? Yeah, well, it depends on what the effects are. If, if you have a lot of cramps with your menstrual cycle and you're anticipating having a race during that time, actually taking, pre-medicating yourself with just over-the-counter ibuprofen will really help as long as you're well hydrated to protect your kidneys. But that will affect the cramping because of the prostaglandin, which is a hormone the uterus releases and causes cramping. It'll block that. So at least it'll take away that discomfort which will take away one of the distractions. So that's very beneficial for women. Great advice. Uh, the, the other is, um, you know, just have a different goal. You know, recognize the situation. Don't beat yourself up and have a realistic race goal. You know, there's lots of races. There's lots of other days. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's great advice. I think you're right. I mean, sometimes it just happens to be it's bad luck and that's where it falls. And, and I think you just have to roll with the punches and remember that there's going to be another race down the road at some point. Um, exactly. No, that's that's great advice. Um, let's turn our attention now to kind of running in pregnancy because I know that's you know a big issue that that runners, especially if they've never done it before, or don't have friends that have been pregnant before. Um, you know, let's um, you know one thing that I've seen and, and obviously having limited experience is that there seem to be a lot of elite runners that elite women runners who train pretty heavily and and extend it into their pregnancy. Um, is that something that's safe for the majority of women? Well, we certainly know that otherwise healthy women runners who have been running prior to pregnancy can safely continue to run during their pregnancy. That being said, 
we don't have a lot of good science that tells us how much is too much during pregnancy and how much is too intense during pregnancy. So we really base our guidelines on some of those anecdotal stories from elite runners, mm -hmm. but also on the anatomy and physiology that we know changes during pregnancy. Okay. But based on that, if you're an otherwise healthy female runner, um, and you want to, if that's a goal of yours, to continue to run during your pregnancy, by all means continue it. We recommend it and we encourage it because we know the benefits of continuing to exercise um, during pregnancy are pretty profound in terms of just how you feel about yourself, your mental health, and even um, makes delivery a little easier. Yeah, um, and I know this is a very individual question, but if, if, if somebody were to come to you and, and ask for a recommendation about what their intensity and volume should be or, or how it should scale compared to normal, what would you recommend to them? Well, one of the first things I talk to my uh, women pregnant runners about is intensity um, and the importance of really throwing out the heart rate monitor and using effort as your guide. And that's hard for a lot of really competitive women to do, but if you really um, base your intensity on your effort, how you feel that day, you will just voluntarily decrease your intensity to a safe level. Um, and when we say what is, what is a good effort level, for most people that's the conversational level. You should be able to talk. You know, for those that are more competitive, um, have a higher level of fitness, we describe it as what's considered moderately hard. So it's a hard effort, okay. but it's not a super hard effort. No, that's great. That's, and that's good advice. I'm, I'm glad that we were able to put together some sort of general recommendation for people. And, and, and I'm sure you advise, uh, you know, people to definitely talk with their doctors specifically about, you know, what they may or may not be able to do based on their health issues. But I think it's great to have that general recommendation going in, especially if they're thinking about getting pregnant or about to kind of go into that phase. Um, other than intensity, do you think there's anything uh, that, that pregnant runners should be uh, wary of or, or maybe try to avoid? Yeah, there are certainly some things. We know, again, you are, your metabolism is increased, so you're generating more heat. And so running in hot weather can be problematic. So we encourage people in those situations, if they live in climates where it's going to be warm during their pregnancy, run indoors, uh, run at a fitness club where it's air conditioned so that you don't overheat. Um, you know, there, there is some concern that overheating could affect not only you, but your baby. And so um, we do educate them about the importance of that. We also educate them about the importance of maintaining their hydration even more so than when they're in a non-pregnant state because dehydration can lead to premature contractions, which obviously every woman wants to avoid. So we really talk to them about being hydrated before, having access to fluids during, and again, not exercising outdoors when it's hot and humid. And then the other um, recommendation is um, a nutritional one. We know that in a pregnant state, both you and your baby really rely on glucose um, and so we don't want you to get into a state where your glucose gets low. So if you're running more than 45 to 60 minutes at a time, which is, you know, a healthy recommendation, just make sure that you're taking in some form of glucose, whether it's a sports drink, you know, whether it's a gel pack, um, you know, whatever your preference is. But that, again, just make, make sure that you're staying as healthy as you can for you and your baby. Wow, that's fantastic advice. I hadn't heard that, that last piece about the glucose before, so um, I even learned something. So 
Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, and speaking of nutrition, you know, now going beyond, I guess, some of the specific issues with pregnancy and stuff like that, um, you know, one of the things that we hear a lot about in college and, and kind of learning about exercise physiology is the female athlete triad. Um, and can we can you talk a little bit about what that female athlete triad is and, and why it's important for female runners to be aware of? Yeah, so the triad, um, by definition, um, it consists of three components. Um, reduced energy availability, which is the critical one and kind of starts the whole triad. Low bone density, which can progress to osteoporosis. <coughs> And disordered um, eating, which again is low, uh, leads to the low energy availability. And so, um, one of the things we really educate our runners about is that um, it's really important to make sure you're taking in enough calories to support exercise. That you don't want to get into a caloric deficit, um, because when you get into a caloric deficit that's when you can really start to affect your bone density which can lead to things like stress fractures um, and so um, that's you know certainly in in the environment in which I work with collegiate runners it's something we pay really close attention to absolutely um, and so kind of uh, continuing on that line um, you know are there supplements that you recommend uh, female runners uh, that female runners especially should be looking at can pretty consistently taking yeah, well, we know that um, female athletes, uh, whether they're a runner or other endurance athletes, are very high risk of developing what's called anemia or iron deficiency anemia. And the reason for that is because they have monthly blood losses, which men don't have, and so they're losing iron that way. And then, again, um, if they're not taking in enough iron in their diet or even enough calories, that's just superimposed. And so... We really want women to, um, you know, talk to their healthcare providers if they're if they're a distance runner about getting screened on a regular basis uh, for iron deficiency anemia. We don't want you to go out and just buy the the uh, supplement and start taking because obviously there's risk with taking too much iron. But it's something you need to be aware of. And in your diet, just enhance those iron sources. Um, our best sources are going to be from animal products, right? So red meat, dark poultry. Um, but you can also get iron um, in vegetable products as well, um, the non-heme iron. And so uh, we encourage people to, to take in as much iron as they can and certainly look for iron-fortified foods when they're at the grocery store. So that's the number one um, supplement, if needed, that we talk about. Okay. The other uh, one we worry about, obviously, is calcium. Yep. Right. Um, and bone growth. We know not just runners, but much of the U.S., doesn't take in enough calcium a day. How much is enough? Um, at least 1,000 milligrams a day or three servings of calcium every day. Um, and if you think about what you do, that may you may not even do that. I mean, none of us are right. hurt. And so that is one supplement that um, frequently is prescribed to women athletes um, and women runners just to protect the bone health. Okay. And what about vitamin D with the, the, the calcium? Uh, do you recommend that, or is that more a, um, if, if, you're if you really struggle with the calcium levels? No, that, that's an excellent question. Um, for calcium to be absorbed appropriately, you have to have vitamin D. Um, you can't have one without the other. And most, forms of, or most of our vitamin D actually comes from a chemical reaction on our skin from the sunlight. Right. But if you're not outdoors, you exercise indoors, you live like I do in Wisconsin, where 
it's cold and glooming a lot of months of the year, you're not getting enough sunlight and vitamin D. And so if we're going to put you on a calcium supplement, we will also put you on a vitamin D supplement, um, at least 800 international units a day. Okay. No, that's, that's great Great to know. And is there, are there any other supplements that generally you, you would recommend that women should be kind of looking at or asking their doctors about whether they should be um, taking? Yeah, um, you know, most of us, again, don't have a perfect diet, so a simple one, women's one-a-day multivitamin will ensure that on those days that you might not be getting in 100% of those vitamins and minerals, you're able to get in. And so frequently I will recommend that as well, depending on the diet and the lifestyle of the individual. But in terms of other supplements, generally, if you're, if you're eating a well-balanced diet, you don't need any. Okay. Um, now, for those runners in our audience who maybe are maybe about to or are currently going through menopause, um, from what I've read, that can be a, a particular issue uh, in in regards to their running as well. Um, you know, what should they expect? I guess through that cycle of, of menopause, in terms of I, I think it's called premenopause or, or something along those lines, um, and then through the through the process itself. Yeah. Well, um, like the the menstrual cycle. Women experience menopause and perimenopause. That's the time before menopause. Okay. Yeah. Um, very differently. Again, you'll have women that say it's no big deal, and then you'll have many others. The more majority will say, "Geez, this really is affecting my running." Um, and um, again, the belief is because of the declining levels of estrogen and progesterone, those declining hormones, um, and they'll develop symptoms as a result of that. Things like hot flashes, which obviously are gonna impact your running, right? Um, if you're running, especially outdoors or in the heat. Um, a lot of women have those hot flashes at night, so it disrupts their sleep, so they feel more fatigued when they're running. Um, estrogen is really good at, at, at protecting the lining of our, of our bladder, as well as our uterus. With a loss of that, a lot of women will get incontinent with exercise, um, which is very disconcerting. And so we really educate them about how best to handle that. Um, and then there's some general aches and pains that happen that we don't really necessarily know why, but a lot of women will complain about just general achiness during their running, a uh, longer time to recover, the effort le level feels harder. And again, um, again, we don't have good scientific back uh, basis to support it, but we speculate it's because of the declining levels of hormones. Okay. Um, so, so in terms of how they're feeling, it's probably going to be pretty close to probably how they felt on their on their menstrual cycle or when they were going through their menstrual cycle. Um, is there ever a period where they may feel uh, better than normal? Uh, once you get through menopause um, and your hormones have stabilized, so they're not all over the place, that's when you tend to feel the best. Okay. Now, that might not um, be news that a lot of women going through menopause want to hear because the perimenopausal period can last for five years or more. Wow. Uh, but most people aren't symptomatic that long. And again, we know that running helps uh, tremendously in making you feel better, particularly from a mental health uh, standpoint. So that just helps you get through some of those difficult times when you aren't feeling good. But yes, once you're through menopause, you tend to feel better and uh, you'll see a lot of older women who are racing very competitively and still setting age group records. So you can have success. Right. <laughs> um, actually, if, if you, you just triggered a question in my mind, if we can go back to the pregnancy issue uh, mm -hmm. or situation, 
Um, it seems to me, and I, I don't know if you have experience with this or noticed this, but there seem to be a lot of women, especially in the elite level, that run really well after pregnancy, after having their, uh, Paula Radcliffe is one who, who's <laughs> run extremely well after, or better after she had her first child, and Kara Goucher has run extremely well after her first child, if not better. Um, is there a reason any that you can think of or that you've postulized that why sometimes female runners uh, make a performance jump after they're after they get pregnant for the first time? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I don't know that we have a good physiological explanation, but we cer certainly have a lot of case reports like you identified that that makes a difference. It may all go back to the fact that they really, during that time of pregnancy and post-pregnancy, needed to decrease their training volume and intensity. And now that they're coming back, that period of rest really made a difference, and they're able to get back to much higher intensity. Again, that's that's a lot of speculation, but. Um, I think over the next several years, we're going we're gonna to have more science behind it because people are really interested in that. Yeah. I, I hope this doesn't sound chauvinistic, but I've always heard that it's because, you know, pregnancy is so hard. It makes you so tough. Like a race, <laughs> a race will feel like nothing compared to having a baby. So I don't know if that's any truth to it or not. But. Yeah, they always <laughs> say that women have a higher pain threshold anyway. <laughs> it might be. Perfect. Um, as, uh, if we can go back, um, let's talk about, is there any specific advice that you can give uh, to female runners in general that, that maybe isn't, you know, common training advice? Um, I know this isn't a question that we kind of really prepared for, but is there anything that you commonly see in a lot of the runners that you work with um, that you would say, like, this is definitely something that I feel is, is something they should work on? Um, well, certainly, um, you know, women runners seem to um, be at a higher risk for developing stress fractures and injuries that take them out of their training. And so, you know, ways to really prevent getting injured in general in training, which seems to affect a lot of women, is to be smart about your training. I mean, there's a reason why we periodize our training. There's a reason why we do build-ups and then we have rest periods. And I really can't overemphasize the importance of rest. Um, I know a lot of women runners and men are the same, is that, you know, especially when you're young and healthy and, and you feel pretty invincible, I don't need to rest. And, you know, Rest is absolutely necessary for your, your tissues to um, benefit from, reap the benefits of training, but also to recover so that you don't get injured. And, you know, I think I've stayed um, uninjured for over 30 years that I've been running. And I think the reason is, is that I have bought into the rest principle. I always incorporate rest, and I always have um, throughout all my competitive days. Um, and I run some pretty high-volume races. And um, I think the rest has allowed me to continue to do that. So that would be my biggest, uh, biggest recommendation and advice that I give. You know, it's a battle with our younger runners that I work with. Um, they just don't buy into it. But if you can get them to buy into that, um, that's really important, as well as the nutritional piece. You know, I don't think uh, women runners in particular appreciate how much energy they're expending. With running, I don't think that they're intentionally not taking in the calories. I think they don't understand. And so getting a better understanding, working with whatever access to resources you have in the community, use those. If you can see a dietitian, see one. If there's a, a trainer who has expertise in that, talk to them about it because those are the things that will keep you running all of your life. No, that's that's great advice, and especially on the rest. I mean, I know I'm not, you know, as myself. If I had listened to that advice when I was in college, I would have, <laughs> I would have been a lot healthier and enjoyed myself a lot more. Um, if you don't mind, could you share a little bit about what your training looks like in a typical week or month, or just kind of what you're what you're going after? 
Yeah, sure. Um, well, just like I talked about with the rest, I always incorporate two full days of rest a week. Um, I still, even though I'm considered an older runner, um, I still use a seven-day training cycle. I haven't needed to expand it out to a 10-day a kind of cycle. I still use a seven-day cycle, two days of rest, um, and then every other week it'll be either two hard training sessions, whether that's intervals, whether that's hill work, whether that's a threshold run, whether that's a pace run, alternating with three. So, you know, week one might be two hard workouts, week two would be three, then two, then three, and then I step down. Um, I always do a long run, and for me, a long run, depending on where I am in my training cycle, could be 30 to 35 miles, just given the distances that I run. Um, on those, uh, my shorter long runs, I do a lot of 18 to 20 milers, so that's pretty standard for a Saturday or Sunday run. And then um, I'll do a true recovery run, and then you know, something in between, whether it's five, seven, ten miles, depending on if it's that week where there's two hard workouts or three hard workouts. So my average weekly mileage is right around 50 to 60, which is pretty low for an ultra runner, um, but it works for me um, both physically, but my lifestyle and my job keep me pretty busy, and so I need to find balance, and so that's allowed me to be successful and to have balance. Uh, right now I'm getting ready for the National 100-Kilometer Championships, which are uh, in April. Okay. And where are those this year? They're going to be in Madison, Wisconsin. They've hosted before. So okay. nice and convenient for those of us that live in the state of Wisconsin. <laughs> exactly. And use of the cold weather, I'm sure the mud will be up there. So <laughs> nice. Well, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. I know uh, our audience loves hearing kind of athletes of your level and your your kind of status you know hearing about their training I think it they really enjoy it so I appreciate I appreciate you sharing um, one question before I guess probably the last question um, in terms of you know female athletes I find that it, it's definitely helpful for them to do more strength work especially around the hips um, and from what I've read recently the theory about Q angle actually really doesn't hold a lot of water I'm not sure if you've heard yep. the same or read the same but but I still found that it was particularly in women they tend to be a lot weaker in the core and the hips um, have you found kind of the same thing and, and do you recommend women do a lot of uh, core work and stability work in that area yeah absolutely um, you're right on with the Q angle research um, that has been debunked and now we're recognizing that yes it's a biomechanical issue but it really relates to weakness in the hip rotators as well as the glute muscles. And so pelvic stability um, is that reason, reason runners are getting a lot of lower extremity injuries is because they don't do as, um, as good a job as they should at maintaining their pelvic stability. And so implementing things that strengthen your hip rotators, strengthen your glutes, um, will make you a better runner with the intent that it reduces injury. So certainly I implement those things in my training. Um, I don't do a ton of strength training, but I do that kind of stuff, core work, um, pelvic stability work. We, we implement it with all of our collegiate runners. And then certainly as you get older, um, <clears throat> the value of doing um, work that um, is more power-based, you know, those plyometric type activities, mm -hmm. uh, will help maintain those muscle fibers that you tend to lose when you get, when you get older. Um, and so I encourage women, even older menopausal women, to try to incorporate some type of, you know, jumping exercise, skipping exercise, bounding exercise. I mean, things that are safe. 
um, so that they don't lose their balance, but things that will really help them minimize um, loss of those muscle fibers. Right. And if I'm, if I'm right, and I could be wrong on this, it also should help with uh, bone formation and bone growth, correct? If you're doing a, enough of yeah. it that it's not too stressful, but... Cool. Yeah, particularly in those uh, menopausal women, you know, that's our greatest consequence um, is our loss of bone mineral density when we become men uh, menopausal. So any type of weight-bearing activity is going to at least minimize the loss of bone. We can't prevent it entirely, but running activities and then those exercises that we talked about in strength training really do make a difference, you know, not just for young competitive athletes, but for older runners as well. Interesting. All right, well, we'll I'm going to finish this off with probably the final question, and, and it's not related to women running specifically, but um, if you could go back and, and tell your younger self, you know, one lesson or, or heed, your, heed one lesson that you, that you know now that you wish you'd known then, um, what would that be and, and why? Well, what I tell my athletes now <clears throat> is that if I knew as much about nutrition back in uh, high school and college that I do now, um, I would have been a much better runner. I mean, it's not that you have regrets, but it's, it's, uh, you realize how little you knew back then. Now, you can get away with it when you're 18 to 20 years old, but you could still be a better runner if you really take, take um, hydration seriously and take recovery eating seriously, so eating after those hard workouts, things that I didn't know anything about. So, again, taking advantage of, of those resources, people that know those things, really heeding their advice will make you a better runner. So I, I just wish I had access to those kind of things. Yeah. Well, I hope people listening to this podcast, they now have the information out there thanks to you and, and thanks to the book um, that you've written. And again, it's it's Running for Women. Um, you're the co-author with J, uh, Dr. Jason Karp. That's correct, yeah. And um, it's available. Uh, I know it's available on Amazon. Is there any other place that you know that you can get it or? Uh, Amazon's the primary one and then the Human Kinetics uh, website as well, the publishing okay. website. So okay. I would recommend Amazon. Okay. It's a, I've, I've read it. It's a fantastic book. You guys did a, a great job covering everything and, and going into really, really good depth uh, okay. with everything without being too complicated and, and it's, it's readable. Um, so I encourage everybody that's, that's listening to this podcast that wants to know more to definitely check out the book. It's fantastic. Um, and is there any other way that we can follow your, your running and so people that are listening to this can, can hopefully see you or follow you win, uh, win another national championship? Well, you know, I'm not technologically very savvy, so I, I don't have Twitter accounts or blogs or any of that, but the USA Track and Field website is a great resource uh, for uh, ultra running as well as the International Association of Ultra Runners. That's where you keep track of all, of all uh, the... Uh, competitions and uh, what the team is doing so awesome well hopefully we'll, we'll create some new fans for you <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right well thank you so much again for taking time out of your day to join us and um, we're really excited and thank you so much thank you Josh.